Well, Merry Christmas. So glad you're here. Mrs. Hardy reminded me that this won't happen again for another seven years. And by that time, I'll have one in college and one right behind him. That's kind of scary. <laughs> well, as I thought about things this morning, uh, actually for the next couple of Sundays, what I wanted to share with you are just things that have come to me just through my time in the Word that were significant. And I know that during Christmas, there's a lot of figures that we could look at and point to that are significant in that story. But for whatever reason, for me this year, there's been one in particular that stood out, and, and that's the shepherds. Last week, uh, you may remember Bill having led our time of communion, and uh, he spoke about that group of shepherds who tended that flock in Bethlehem and the significance of the lambs that they had raised specifically for the purpose of the sacrifice at the temple. And it was that group of shepherds that the angels spoke to. But if you stop and think about it, there is a long list of significant figures in Scripture that God used in very mighty ways. And the thing that they have in common is that they were all shepherds. I haven't really realized that until I sat down to think about it this year. In fact, you could go all the way back to the very first family, right? The youngest son of Adam and Eve, Abel, who offered the firstborn of his flock. He was a shepherd. You could go from there into Abraham and see a man who was such a successful shepherd that he had all kinds of livestock that he was not only able to have for himself, but he even shared with his nephew Lot, and they were both wealthy men because of that trade. And then we know from Scripture that Abraham passed that tradition on to his son Isaac, and he too was a shepherd. We learned that after him we find Jacob, also a shepherd. He was employed by Laban. And he earned the right to marry Rachel by being a successful shepherd. (laughs) And then there's Joseph and his 11 brothers, all 12 of them shepherds. And then there's Moses. He was a shepherd. Spent 40 years in the court of Pharaoh, 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd before God spoke to him in the burning bush, which we'll look at this morning. And then, of course, probably the most famous of all, that being David, the shepherd boy made king. And the list goes on. You can see there's a, an, an interesting consistency of God working in the lives of people in a significant way. And ironically, they all have the same trade. They were all shepherds. And so this morning, I just want us to think about that together and consider why is it that God so frequently used a shepherd to do such great deeds and kingdom work. And as we consider that together, I want us to think about what we can do to cultivate that same shepherd's heart, no matter what it is we do in life. Can we do that? Well, let's spend some time praying together before we look at that. Father, we are grateful for the time this morning and just the uh, chance to be here. Um, Honestly, I, I can't think of something more Uh, pleasing to you than to see your people gathered on the day that we remember your birth to worship, sing praise to you, and to consider the the truth revealed um, through your word and through your person, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we do that this morning, guide us and direct us. 
to the gift of your spirit that you have given us through your son. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, there are certain characteristics about being a shepherd that are most obvious. And for me, the thing that stands out uh, most clearly as a shepherd is the fact that they spend a whole lot of time in silence and solitude, right? They're outdoors alone with their flock very often. In fact, the, the scripture tells us that shepherds very frequently spent both day and night with their sheep. They lived out in the wilderness with the flock that they were tending. They were nomadic people, so they moved from place to place to always ensure adequate nourishment and water for the sheep under their care. Since sheep were so vulnerable to prey, they were always tending their sheep. They were always watching, keeping a lookout, making sure they were protected, and if any were to stray away, they would go after them. But they often did this in the quiet solitude of the outdoors. Well, as many of you know, a couple of weeks ago, I took my annual study leave, where I too go out for a little bit of silence and solitude. I don't sleep out in the wilderness. It's way too cold. But I do have the opportunity to go to a place where I'm alone for a week, and I don't have TV, radio, internet. It's just a place of complete silence and solitude where I try to do the best I can to listen to how the Lord might be leading us as a church body and me um, in teaching and, and guiding you through time in his word. But every year I need to be honest with you and tell you that I have to work to get to that place where I have a listening heart. In fact, even as I'm driving down there, I'm making a mental list of all the things that I hope to get done during this week. And the closer I get, I, I think there's no way I'm going to get all this done. And so as soon as I get in the door, I hit the ground running. Well, I start working through that list of things I need to do, and, and I feel good about being diligent for the Lord. And, and along the way, I'll ask him, God, I, I want you to come in and be a part of this time and, and join me on this diligent work. And eventually he gets my attention. And he asked me, do you want to keep charting the course or would you like for me to lead so that you can walk in the good works that I've prepared beforehand? You see, that time of silence and solitude is very often what it takes for me to get to a place where I have a listening heart. <laughs> I think very often we, we need to step away, to be still and to be quiet so that we can come to a place where we can genuinely say in our heart of hearts, okay, God, you have my undivided attention. You see, because of the lonely solitude in the life of the shepherd, I believe they were more adept at cultivating a listening heart. Let me give you an example. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 3. I mentioned to you Moses a little earlier. And let's take a look at uh, Moses in his shepherding days. Exodus chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to set this up for you and, and help you understand that at this point in time, this passage that we will look at, Moses had spent 40 years in the court of Pharaoh. He had been exiled or actually fled because of what happened in Egypt. And now he spent 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd. Okay, It's at this point in time that this passage takes place. Let's look at it together. Verse 1. 
Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Median, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see the marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. I just find this a little bit fascinating is that that Moses, a shepherd, is in the wilderness and he sees a burning bush. And my reaction to that, if I'm a shepherd in the wilderness, is to put that thing out, right? That's dangerous stuff when the fire gets started in the wilderness. But for whatever reason, Moses is attentive enough to, to look at this bush and realize it's not being consumed by that fire. And when God sees that he turns his attention and notices it, He then begins to speak, and he tells Moses and calls his name. And what was the response of Moses in hearing the voice of God? What does he say? He says, here I am. (laughs) In other words, you have my attention, Lord. I'm listening. The ability of Moses to carry out the plan of God began with his willingness to listen. The very same thing is true for you and I. We cannot follow God's will for our life if we never stop long enough to listen and consider the ways that he may be leading us. We can even fool ourselves. Like I have confessed to you (laughs) that we barrel ahead doing the things we think God wants us to do, but we never really stop long enough to ask him if that's true. Like the shepherd, we need to cultivate a listening heart, a heart that is undistracted by the busyness of life and willing to give our full attention to God in prayer. Now, I know this is Christmas, and so most of you have already opened up all your Christmas gifts, or I hope you have, so otherwise you're probably not listening to me and you're wanting me to hurry up. (laughs) But I'm assuming you have. And I know that for many of you, a lot of those gifts are media-related, right? iPads and iTouches and iPhones and all kinds of iStuff. (laughs) iCandy, really, is what it is. Because the longer we develop in our society, the more that we realize that there is media device after media device that if we are not careful, we can spend our life staring at some form of a screen. Am I right? Be your phone screen, your computer screen, your TV screen, your iPad screen, your video game screen. Do I need to go farther? (laughs) It is something that consumes us. And I don't know that the enemy actually created those things. I won't go that far, but I feel confident in telling you he will use them to make sure that you never give yourself a quiet space to listen. Because they're always accessible to you. So the question I think that that you and I need to ask ourselves and answer is, what are we going to do to create and cultivate a listening heart? 
Because the fact of the matter is, we do not live out in the wilderness. <laughs> We're not out in the outdoors where it's still and quiet and we can see the stars in the night sky. We live in this environment of constant input. And so we have to work hard. We have to be purposeful to create a listening heart. And I think one of the ways that most of us do that is to just take time first thing in the morning before you ever get started and just be quiet and still before the Lord. Open up His Scripture. See what it has to say. Listen and spend some time in prayer. But I think it goes past that too. One of the things that I noticed after spending a week away with no noise is when I came back how much noise there was and how easily I chose to turn on that noise. And so now I try to do a better job. When I turn on, get in my car, I'm not quick to turn on the radio. In fact, I'll drive most places with not, with, without it on so that it gives me a quiet space and I can pray and spend some time with the Lord right there in my car. I want us to be careful, too, of when we get home and sit down on our couch that we're not quick to turn on the TV. <laughs> Create another quiet space. Maybe go for a walk in your neighborhood. There's, there's all kinds of things. But the point is, if you don't create that space, it does not exist in our life today. And because of that, we will not develop a listening heart in the world and the busyness that surrounds us. This is one of the main reasons that I believe God so consistently worked through the life of a shepherd. It's because they knew how to listen. But not only listen. The shepherd was one who had learned to trust. You see, since they were alone in the wilderness, they were very vulnerable. They and their prey, the sheep they cared for. The wild animals existed in this same environment, and they were quick to, to capture these helpless animals under the care of the shepherd. I'm sure on more than one occasion they found themselves in a precarious situation where the only thing between a wild animal and the sheep was the shepherd. And so they had to put themselves in a position that risked their lives in the protection of their sheep. And I am certain that those shepherds learned to pray, God help me because of what I'm fixing to face. In fact, let me give you one of those examples. Turn, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is David speaking, and uh, he's going to tell us what it was like to be in one of those situations as a shepherd and what he learned from that experience that I am certain happened on more than one occasion. So look at chapter 17, verse 34 with me. Chapter 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. <laughs> this is a conversation that David is having with King Saul before he goes out to face Goliath. He's explaining to this cowardly king that he has faced, or what he has faced as a shepherd, is equally as dangerous to that which they face 
in the battlefield. He, he describes a scenario that he obviously encountered where a, a lion actually comes in, grabs a hold of one of his sheep, and takes off. And as a shepherd, instead of just watching that happen, David says, I chased that lion. And you and I both know that when they caught up with each other, there was a fight that was going to go on, right? That lion was not going to be scared of David. And so David could not be afraid of that lion. He had to rescue him, rescue that lamb. David even goes on to describe the hand-to-hand combat that took place where he took the lion by the beard in order to rescue that little lamb. Now look at verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. What a coward. Notice that David didn't say, Hey, look at what I've done. I can do this. What did he say? He says, I know because I've been in a situation where the Lord has delivered me. This will be no exception. The reason he could say that is because he goes on to tell him, if, if the Lord delivered me from the instinct of an animal who was just fighting in a way that he only knew to fight, I am most certain that he will deliver me from this Philistine who is fighting in a willing rebellion to the living God whom we both serve. He will deliver. See, as a shepherd, David learned to trust in God. And that trust is what built his faith. He often found himself in situations where God had to deliver or he would not make it through. See, shepherds often found themselves in places like this. Places beyond their personal limits. And as a result, they learn to trust in God's faithful provision. You see, it's one thing to listen. (laughs) It's something altogether different to actually take action on that which you've heard. Moses heard God speak, but he still had to walk into the house of Pharaoh whom he'd abandoned and risk his life and speak with the voice of God. David heard God speak. But he still had to walk to the river, pick out five smooth stones, and face Goliath, the giant. You and I can cultivate a listening heart, but are we willing to take the necessary steps of faith as God speaks into our life? Let me suggest here that we can cultivate something that we learn from the life of the shepherd by being willing to put ourselves in situations that are beyond our sense of comfort and even our perceived capacity. Now, I don't think any of us should go and wrestle a bear to prove our faith. So, Pierce, don't go wrestle a lion, okay? That's not a good idea. But I do think that we should take some risk and share our faith with maybe a fellow student, a co-worker, a neighbor, 
You see, because for some, that is so far outside of your comfort zone, it's almost as scary as facing a bear. It's outside of our comfort zone. But that is the place that we can most often learn to trust in God. Some of you heard the, uh, the testimony of the Miller family uh, not too long ago as they described a, a trip that they took together as a family to go into Africa to serve for a week in, uh, or longer on a medical mission trip. And I bet many of you heard that story and you were thinking to yourselves if you were listening, impressed by what they had to say, and you thought, man, that is fantastic for the Miller family. But the Sapisa family, <laughs> we could never do anything like that. I would challenge that. Maybe you can, but you just need to be willing to take a step of faith, to trust God, and to watch Him provide. I feel confident, very confident, that if you ask any member of the Miller family, they would tell you that God used that experience to build their their trust and strengthen their faith in God well beyond any possible way that he could do it in the comfort of their own home. You see, it's one thing to listen. It's something altogether different to take a step of faith based on what you hear. Just think for a second about what that looks like for you. I, I know and I've heard stories that for some of you it takes a bold step of faith to stay in a broken marriage, (laughs) to be in a difficult situation where you feel like you're continuing to give and give and give and you get nothing back. Well, do you have the faith to stay in there and trust God? Some I know who are in relationships that aren't inside of a marriage, that are not healthy, and they need to take an equal step of faith to walk away for a while, at least to get some breathing room because they're in an unhealthy place. And to honor God in that relationship and not end up in one of those broken marriages, they need to trust him as their first love. I know my son Graham and I have talked about the peer pressure that students face in school these days. It's amazing what others try to convince you to do because that's just what happens in our world today. Do you have the courage to take the step of faith to live differently in that world? Whatever form it takes, we need to cultivate the heart of a shepherd that learns to listen and to trust in God, even at great risk and personal sacrifice, so that in those moments of crisis, we can proclaim as David the shepherd did when he spoke of God and said, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and in him I will not be greatly shaken. That's a statement of faith that I believe he came through by putting himself in a place where he had to trust God. Listen, trusting, and finally, obeying. The shepherd's heart is a heart that always responds in humble obedience. One of the things that we have to realize about being a shepherd in that culture is that they were on probably the lowest rung of the social ladder of their day. Humility kind of came with the territory of being a shepherd. You may remember the account of Joseph, and we're going to actually look at this in more detail in the spring. But when Joseph explained to the Egyptians that his family was a family of shepherds, what did they say? I don't know that they said anything. They turned up their nose, and the Scripture tells us that Egyptians hate shepherds. 
They're dirty, nomadic, poor people. Well below the upper echelon of the civilized Egyptian culture and those courageous leaders of the day. So humility kind of came with the territory of being a shepherd. You just did not hear of too many arrogant sheep herders in that day. That profession included a dose of humility. But this turned out to be of great benefit. I think we see this demonstrated in the scene that, that I spoke of earlier in Luke's gospel when the shepherds were visited by the angel. Let's turn there. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. <clears throat> if you will, read, uh, read with me. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them. And they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Let's just pause there and just recognize that the fact that here again the shepherds were listening. They knew right where to go. They, in fact, trusted the report that had been given to them. And the text says that they immediately left and went to Bethlehem. By this time, I'm thinking, this is why God spoke to the shepherds. He knew that they were listening. He knew that they would trust him. And most importantly, he knew that they would go. Pride didn't prevent their quick response. The shepherds didn't need to check their busy calendar to make sure they had room to follow through. They didn't need to call an executive meeting to make sure that this was the best course of action. The angels spoke, the shepherds listened, they trusted God, and they went. Now look at verse 16. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known to the the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God. For all that had, they had heard and seen just as been told to them. You see, apparently, the announcement given to the shepherds was important for those gathered at the manger. Or I've even thought maybe they, on their way to that place, stopped by the inns to find them and told them as well. <laughs> we don't know for sure, but either way, the shepherds were the first to bear witness 
to the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? The shepherds were the first to bear witness of the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ. The shepherds. Perhaps Mary and Joseph were lonely in that cave, wondering, what's next? Like any new parent, they stared at the face of that newborn child like Terry and I did when Graham was born, and we said to each other, now what? (laughs) Right? Now what do we do? Maybe that was the atmosphere. Maybe there was more fear than excitement in the room that day. But as they began to recognize That all changed when the shepherds arrived. And that fear was exchanged with peace. It says that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What a sweet assurance that news must have been to them to remind them that God is in control. That this that they have in front of them is his idea. And that he came. To seek and to save the lost. And I want you to notice one other thing about the shepherds on this day. The shepherds did not come to investigate. I looked at this long and hard, and I don't read in this passage any signs of of doubt or concern. I see humble men who were quick to obey, responding to the experience with a genuine heart of worship. There was a conviction in those steps as the shepherds went back, as it says, and glorifying God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. You see, the shepherds, perhaps more than any other, understood the good news of the Savior who had been born. And I wonder, as time went on, as, as Bill suggested uh, last week, the, that there, there was that connection that they began to make, that, that Jesus Christ, the baby that they had visited in the manger, was in fact the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Because they were given responsibility to protect the lambs that would be offered as a living sacrifice to a holy God. And now they didn't been introduced to a holy God who would become a living sacrifice. Jesus, the good shepherd, who would lay down his life for his sheep. Instead of a repeated sacrifice of of lambs, which could never take away sins, Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. For by this one offering, the scripture tells us, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified in faith in this most magnificent and loving gift of his life on our behalf. See, that's good news. (laughs) That's the message of Jesus' birth. And perhaps the shepherds are the ones who knew this better than all. As we finish up, here's what I want you to walk away with and and just consider on this Christmas day. You see, you too have heard the good news which the shepherds were sent to proclaim that day, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. (laughs) And now you're here, right? Remembering and celebrating that miraculous miracle that took place when, when God became man. 
and lived among us a sinless life. So let me ask you, do you hear that angelic message now proclaimed to all the earth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? Are you listening? Are you listening? And when you hear that message, do you trust? Do you believe that his death on the cross was necessary and effective for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you believe when it says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to perfect it, that you are secure in the arms of a loving Savior? Do you trust? And when you come to the feet of the Savior, are you there to worship? Do you rejoice with the conviction that he rose from the grave, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he will one day come again, just as he promised? And we celebrate his first advent today, but we live in eager anticipation for his second advent when he will take us home. Do you believe that? Do you live in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might? Do you have the heart of a shepherd, learning to listen, to trust, and obey? For unto us a child is born, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is the most magnificent gift you could ever be given. And I pray that you celebrate it with all your heart today, of all days. Let me pray for us. God, we are grateful to be here, to remember the gift that you gave us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that we would develop a heart of a shepherd so that we can cultivate space in our life where we learn to listen. And we recognize and confess with each other that that will not happen in the routine of the busyness of our media-saturated world where there is constant input that, if not made by the enemy, will be used by the enemy to draw us away from you. And so may we protect our heart by giving it a chance to listen. And as we hear you speak into our life, may we learn to trust you, to step outside of our comfort zone, to to take risks of faith because we believe you will provide, that we can trust you and that you are faithful. And as our faith is strengthened, Father, may we be ever increasingly quicker to obey when we hear your voice in the quietness of that time. May we be a people who always come to you with a heart of worship. And as we celebrate your birth today, may we eagerly anticipate your return. And may we live our life between this day and that in a way that is pleasing to you, that honors you, that worships you. Because of the great gift you have given us in the gift of your son. And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.